Hello, all you lovely traumatized humans. It is Sunday. What the fuck? It's Sunday, uh, August 13th, which means that August is almost halfway over and I feel like it's still June. I don't know like how time is progressing so quickly. I don't know how time moves forward. Uh, people always say, oh, you know, time flies. The older you get, the faster it goes and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I am realizing that it's true. <laughs> the faster time goes like the older I get and it's just a trip man it's such a trip man I have a nephew who's four months old four and a half months old and he is so cute and I went and visited him when he was first born he was a week old when I first got to see him and I haven't seen him since but I'm going home next month he'll be five and a half months old by the time I see him again and it's just crazy how much they change you know um they grow so fast I say that about my cat he grows so fast except now he's like 16 (laughs) He grows so fast. His eyes water now, inexplicably. Today we're going to talk about sales. So specifically some lessons um, I've learned doing sales and that Mike has learned. Mike did sales for a long time and uh, he was, you know, better at it than I am because he's been doing it longer. He has a lot more knowledge than I do. He sold uh, for Scantron back in the day when Scantron was like one of two providers of test materials um, and he sold a social emotional learning tools into schools for a long time as well. And he also worked in fundraising. So our career paths sort of uh, mirror each other. But um, the other day, a woman asked me if I make a full-time living from writing this blog. Um, No, the answer is no. I make a little bit of money from like ads and whatever, Google ads and stuff, and from things that I've written and sell online, but nothing substantial. Number one, I probably spend more money on maintaining the website than I make on (laughs) my blog. (laughs) I have a normal day job like most of you, and I happen to be in the business of selling stuff. It's software, and my background is in fundraising. And I've said this a thousand times, but fundraising is harder, okay? Uh, In sales, I'm solving someone's problem and providing a solution that they need to save time or money or both. And it also helps that I sell a good product, right? If I'm selling a bad product, it's probably way less enjoyable. And then my partner, Mike, has, uh, you know, years of both sales and fundraising experience as well. So I asked him the other day for a handful of lessons that he's learned from years of successfully selling. So there's seven of them. And I should also say, um, actually, there's eight of them. I should also say that I've been working in sales for about a year and a half now. Um, My fundraising experience was mostly in grant writing. So how that's different than selling. Um, Grant writing is less to do with like building a relationship and doing a hard sale because um, foundations and governments that do grants uh, have very specific guidelines that you need to meet. So it's the the granting of money is based more on um, what your organization does and how well the grant is presented than uh, who you are or what your relationship is with the foundation and so forth. It does help, obviously, to have relationships with people in high places, people with money always helps. But that's one thing I liked about grant writing is that it was less about like schmoozing and boozing with people and all that kind of good stuff. But again, never hurts to make friends with whoever you're selling. So the first lesson is to do what you say. This seems obvious, right? But if you tell a prospect that you'll send them something, send it promptly. If you promise a certain price, follow through. If you promise something like a new feature that's behind schedule, communicate that as well. 
like over communicate. In the same vein, uh, Mike has found it advantageous to be very honest and transparent. Like if there's um, a hurdle that someone is going to encounter using your product, let them know about that ahead of time. People can tell if you withhold information or give a non-answer, or if you don't answer their question directly, they're like, mm, okay, I don't trust you as much now. So uh, especially in the business of selling in SAA, a software as a service, um, there's always something that your product lacks or something that another company might do better. And forthrightness is always best. So I currently sell a race registration software and a ticketing software. And there's a lot of both, right? There's like a 100 ticketing softwares out there. There's a 100 platforms that can sell tickets. Like this Wix website can sell tickets. Um, Square can sell tickets. There's uh, Eventbrite and Ticket Spice and Ticket Leap and all these. There's hundreds. Every week I find a new one. Um, so there's probably things that we don't do that these other companies do, right? So uh, be forthright about it and also know your product and how it's better. But second lesson, have more than one contact at an organization, especially if you're involved in a complex sale. So um, people change jobs all of the time. I experienced this in fundraising as well. Sometimes some, a foundation person, they would leave and I'd be like, shit, that was like my best contact there. And then I have to start from square one. So if your only contact leaves, you might lose the deal entirely. And sometimes deals take months or years to, to go through. So it never hurts to make friends with non-decision makers either. I like to make friends with, if I get like a secretary on the phone or an assistant or something like that, um, it's good to have good rapport with them. Just helps if they like you, then they might influence, you know, their boss in some ways. Because sometimes, you know, assistants and secretaries are the most trusted person at an, or at an organization as well. So don't overlook people that may not be decision makers. The third thing is to know when to stop selling. Sometimes, most of the time, people don't want to talk to a salesperson. So if someone's in the deciding phase and you've already presented all the information and you know, like maybe nothing else you say is going to sway them either way, if you keep pushing, they're probably going to be like, God, this person's so annoying and, and go with someone else. So no one to stop selling. And this is something that you have to intuitively learn. I've definitely uh, made the mistake of pushing too hard on something or um, maybe not pushing hard enough. You have to kind of find that balance. And with each person, it's different as well. One thing I used to do in fundraising that I still do in sales is ask people how they like to be communicated with. Some people just don't want to talk on the phone and that's fine. They're like, yeah, email me. I'm way more responsive via email. You can text me whatever, but don't call. And it's really important to respect those people's boundaries. Um, I have metrics to hit that are like, how many calls I made this week and so forth. So uh, don't let your metrics get in the way of like respecting somebody's communication style. Number four, understand what your customer looks like and target them. If a cold prospect checks all of your boxes, stay in touch. So um, you never know when someone will be ready to buy and it could take a year or two or three or whatever. Investing time in a prospect that isn't a good fit will be frustrating at best. And it might take some time to understand your best customer. Um, for me personally, with my uh, job right now, it's called Ticket Signup. That's the, the company I work for. And for a while, we didn't know what our best customer was. So it took all of us some time to figure that out. But now that we have a good idea of what our target customer base looks like, uh, we don't have to waste time on uh, prospects that are just not good prospects, right? Or that maybe have needs that we can't fulfill. The fifth thing is to know the product in and out and like what you sell. 
This one is a bit obvious, um, but there are plenty of people out there selling things that they don't give half a shit about, right? If I was selling life insurance, I would hate my life. Similarly, there are plenty of fun development folks raising money for causes that they could care less about. Sometimes I look at someone's um, resume or LinkedIn or something, someone who's been in fundraising their whole life and they've switched jobs every like two years. I'm like, how are you fundraising for like 18 different organizations? Like you can't possibly care about all these different causes. And Maybe they don't care that they don't care, you know, but for me, it would help to like what I sell. It also takes time to know what you're selling and to really understand your best customer, right? So sales, like fundraising, has a very high turnover rate with the average salesperson staying at a job 18 to 20 months. That's less than two years. 18, that's a year and a half. And fundraisers stay an average of 16 months. So the, the lessons that I've learned from being in both sales and fundraising for as long as I have is that the longer you're in a uh, any particular role, like the better you're going to be at it, you know, the better you're going to know your customer base, the better you're going to know the product, you're just going to be better at selling it. There does come a time too, where maybe you get bored with selling it. Um, Like I got, I got bored doing fundraising at the Red Cross because uh, the Red Cross doesn't change that much. It's a behemoth, right? So I, I had this learning curve and then I got really good at it and then I got bored, right? So, but the, the company I'm at now, there's always changes. There's new stuff. There's, it's, it's, constantly changing. So I don't feel like I'll get bored as easy, but it definitely helps to stay at a place longer than a year and a half. (laughs) Because I feel like, I mean, I've been at my job right now about a year and a half. And I feel like I'm like hitting my sweet spot of like understanding the product, understanding the customer, kind of making good sales and so forth. Um, The sixth lesson is that cold emails have the lowest success rate of any communication tactic. And the job I had before, the job I have now, the company that will not be named, they sat down with me one day and were like, your emails are the reason that no one wants to buy our stuff. They went through every single line of an email that I had drafted and uh, tore it apart. And really all they did was like take out a couple words, rearrange the sentences, and they were like, great, now we're going to, you know, get more click rates and more communication and all this other stuff. And you know what? Nothing happened. Uh, the click rates were the same. <laughs> the open rates were the same. Like there was no increase in um, responsiveness because cold emails just don't work that well. But, but if you do have to do a cold email, and I've gotten meetings from cold emails, but make them short, make them sweet, and make them compelling. Don't make them too long. No one's going to read it. Um, give them a reason to reply. Only 8.5% of cold emails get a response. And the win rate is even lower, right? Just because someone does response doesn't mean they're going to buy your product. So of that 8.5%, maybe 2% become customers, right? Most successful organizations aren't relying on cold emailing or cold calling. They're conducting smart marketing campaigns to generate warm leads, or they're um, maintaining current customers and upselling and cross-selling those, or they're getting warm referrals um, from happy customers. (laughs) The current, current customers giving a referral is like the best, um, sale you could possibly do. The seventh lesson is don't manage by metrics. So this one doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a manager, but I have certainly been managed by metrics and you may have been too. So in my fundraising job, we were expected to make 40 in-person visits each year. You might be thinking that's not that much. That's less than one a week. I was primarily fundraising through grants, like I mentioned, and foundations are notoriously averse to too much communication with their grantees. Most of the time, they don't even like a phone call. So I exceeded my fundraising goal for the year and in my year-end review was told that I need to book more meetings. 
uh, why? Because the metrics said so. If you're exceeding quota, none of your other metrics should matter that much. Do they matter a little, a little bit? Like, sure. But if your manager is obsessed with them, they're probably a bad manager. Um, and back to understanding how people like to be communicated with, I would ask the directors of these foundations, hey, do you want me to, do you, do you mind if I check in every uh, few months with a phone call? Do you want me to send an email? Do you want a, a letter in the mail? What do you guys like as far as communication? And they would say, uh, we would like quarterly updates or we would like, you know, if a disaster happens, let us know. You can call us then. Please don't call us any other time, etc." They'll tell you because they don't want to be bothered. Then the, the eighth and final lesson uh, here today is that sales is cyclical. You will have weeks that are really busy and really good and you're selling a bunch of stuff and then you're going to have down weeks. So learn to ride those waves. I, when I first started, I'd get so excited if someone just like booked a meeting and I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah. But then, um, you know, sometimes just because someone books a meeting doesn't mean they're going to become a customer. So I have learned to not get excited about a sale or a potential customer until the sale is done. Uh, because otherwise you're just wasting a ton of um, emotional energy. <laughs> I still get excited if someone books a meeting, but I'm not like, woo, party on the rooftop. So things I linked, these are my two favorite books about sales. The first is New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg. Uh, the second is called Influence, the, the Science of Persuasion by Robert. I can't say his last name. His name's Robert, though. But if you just look up The Science of Persuasion, um, you will find him. And the first one is probably like the best book about, so there's so many sales books. Like if you go on Amazon and you look for sales books, there's going to be like thousands. Uh, New Sales Simplified is easy to read. It's smart. It's up to date for like current technology. Mike Weinberg is, um, he's like a sales consultant now, but he has like years of successful sales experience behind him. If someone's writing a sales book, by the way, and they're not doing sales, like don't even fucking waste your time. And then probably don't read a sales book either. I got this one that was, it, it was like written for the 80s, you know, like, like when typewriters were still around, like <laughs> it just was out of date. And then Influence the Science of Persuasion is not even overtly about sales, but it's about how to, uh, to persuade somebody to, you know, make a behavior that's advantageous to you. So the, a lot of examples are around sales, but it's not overtly about sales. So anyway, I'm also going to link Mike's LinkedIn here. So go follow him. He's smart and stuff. He also has a consulting agency for nonprofit fundraisers. So he's a good follow, sort of. I mean, he's not that active. Whatever. Just go follow him. Love you all. Bye.